Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. So I'm curious to hear about um, a, a recent walking the timeless way moment that you may have had. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm looking forward to sharing it. It was very simple. And yesterday, you know, I'm now in the process of uh, choosing more, you know, healthy diet, like with more, you know, plant-based vegetables. So yesterday I uh, did some, you know, grill of the vegetables. And uh, while I was doing it, you know, I, I, I heard the sizzling, sizzling of the, you know, of, of the, the, the grilled vegetables. And that sizzling sound, suddenly there was a stillness uh, in it, which reminds me of like the dropping of the rain. So I think it was that at moment I thought, oh, you know, Tao is kind of everywhere, you know, sometimes just in the midst of us. So <laughs> that was the, the kind of experience I had yesterday. And if we pay attention to those things. And so what did that sound, what effect did that have on you, on your experience? Calming, you know, it's just like, you know, feeling like that kind of uh, stillness is not far away from the seemingly noisy world. You know, I could have, you know, I could have like, you know, listened to CNN <laughs> while I was doing the, the you know, the, the, grill, uh, the grill, but I just immerse in the whole process. And I noticed, and I my ear caught the sizzling, that sizzling sound, which is, which is, is which is also very interesting. It uh, that sizzling sound also triggers some kind of a sense. Well, I could smell it when I, you know, it's the aroma. But I think when you it enhanced the aroma of the vegetable when you hear the the the, the that kind of sizzling. And it also brought to you know uh, brought to memory you know some of the rainy days when you know you're just like reading somewhere and then on your you know your roof or your window you see the 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 drizzling of the sound the the rain. So that's what I experienced. So I enjoyed it, and uh, you know I just that you know a, a few moments. Of course, I enjoyed the the final product. The final, <laughs> the the uh, I you know made some grilled vegetables for lunch. So it makes me think of there's a a program called mindfulness based stress reduction, and it's a um, type of therapy that's that's mm. done for people to really employ mindfulness, which is essentially 
slowing down, letting mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. of all the dialogue and distractions and just being. And there's a, a lot of clinical research that shows the value of that. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about how, you know, you could have been you know, watching CNN while cooking, which would be like yeah. the opposite of mindfulness and, and, you know, having your head full of kind of distractions and things that are in the way. Yeah. And also emotional triggers, you know, it just, you know, the way the, uh, the people on CNN, they talk, you know, they tr- trigger c- certain emotions. Yeah. So I'm hearing that as well, that there's, um, you know, walking the timeless way moments, it, it, it's also a way of reducing stress. Yes, yes, exactly. It just, you know, happens spontaneously. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, I, then I realized that if I, you know, unplug, you know, more often from the world, noisy world, and start to pay attention just to the little things. You know, I, would, I think I would be rewarded, you know, with all these very, uh, very beautiful moments. Well, I think that's a, a good place for us to transition into our topic for today. We want to talk about reinventing spirituality. And so, mm-hmm. obviously, this is a podcast that explores spirituality through the lens of a particular um, time and, and texts, the, the, mainly the Tao Te Ching and other kind of uh, authors and, and thinkers of, of this particular approach to spirituality. I'd like to maybe start off with some definitions and I'm wondering what your definition of spirituality is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think my definition is quite simple. I think maybe, I think it has certain characteristics to it. Maybe like feeling alive. And maybe, maybe feeling still sometimes. So those things can be combined or it can be, you know, in certain situations, I feel like that stillness or aliveness. I think the third maybe characteristics is like that kind of interconnectivity, interconnectedness to other people, you know, to birds, flowers and trees, wings, you know, the sunlight. You know, I walk around the lake every day for both exercise and probably for some kind of meditation. I would say water, you know, all these things. The interconnectivity is, a, to me, is a big part of the um, spirituality. And then, of course, that aliveness, which can be also associated with, you know, creativity uh, or 
just the clarity of my mind and stillness. And sometimes I think, again, just like the experience I shared, you know, that stillness, I think the stillness can also um, facilitate or help aliveness. Sometimes I feel my sense of aliveness is not in being, you know, over like stimulated by the all these sounds and you know the sensory uh, kind of stimulus. And the the more still I am, and the more I you know I feel alive. So that's kind of in a nutshell what I my own sense of what spirit spirituality might be. And it and it the foundation sounds like stillness is is such a core component. It reminds me of in Gestalt psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. All experience originates from what's called the the fertile ground or the fertile void, and essentially, it's saying that yes, we have to get to this place of stillness for meaningful experience to arise. And then there's sort of a cycle that, that emerges out of that. And certainly creativity would be part of that. And, and contact is a big concept in the cycle of experience as well. And so when I hear you talking about connection and connectivity, I think all of that also uh, makes sense from that standpoint. I don't identify as specifically a Gestalt psychotherapist, but I do think that that approach to experience makes a lot of sense. And it also seems like it aligns very much with a spiritual existence. Yeah, that, that sounds, yeah, I, I think that resonates with me, even though I didn't you know, uh, delve into the, the that framework you're talking about. Just experientially, I think those among those three things I just mentioned, probably the stillness is the kind of the foundation. Then with stillness, there's greater aliveness and greater inner connectivity. I think, you know, just experientially, sometimes I feel after a certain, uh, when I give myself some space, that space meaning, you know, a, a moment of spaceness, uh, you know, space, uh, spaciousness or stillness, I feel I get more, I have a more refreshed curiosity with other people. I, I get more patient and more empathetic. If I, you know, through work or through other things, if I'm with people most of the time, all the time, I can get very agitated and uh, I lose patience. So, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, sometimes I think, let, let's say, for example, if I travel to New York City, I can feel aliveness and people are all in, in the place, but I find people are not genuinely sometimes interconnected when people are so crowded. While if I travel in the throughout the countryside in the 
Midwest, when you encounter people, you sort of feel like a deeper sense of connectivity. That's probably, you know, what I think is also that some must be some psychological or spiritual reason. You know, when we cultivate that still stillness, we're better in, in interact and interconnect with other people. And so with this stillness becomes more interconnectivity and then that interconnectivity also facilitates the aliveness, maybe the creativity yes. and so on. What do you think are maybe some of the cultural differences or or other societal differences that create that atmosphere where some places it feels safer or more um, natural to connect versus other places where it feels like uh, awkward to try to connect or or that connection isn't even necessarily going to be possible mm, can you can you explain a little bit more just to you know for me to fully understand you know what you what you're looking yeah, for yeah i think that there's um a certain amount of openness that goes along with people can intuitively sense whether they're they are somewhere where people are open to connection or a conversation. And then there's other places that you go and you can sense that openness is not there. There's sort of ah, sensation. What do you think it is about the culture of a community or space that? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. I would say when I sense some kind of vibe of defensiveness, a sense of insecurity, fear, uh, resentment, all those things, I think I find spiritually or psychologically, I find it's kind of a very like a like a narrowed, shrinking, narrowed space among people. When I see curiosity, when I sense curiosity, open-mindedness, um, just the, the whole people are willing to slow down a little bit and uh, people are not that transactional or people are not kind of try to compete and win through kind of their ego posturing. I feel there's a wider space for us to connect with each other. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I think it makes sense even with your example that I'm, I, I know everyone's not the same, but a, a lot of people who do go to New York City, it probably is to succeed and try to be the best at something. And so there would certainly be more of a competitive frame of mind mm -hmm. there than maybe somewhere where people aren't necessarily trying to be competitive in that way and attain some sort of material success or no notoriety. And, mm -hmm. and that sort of leads me to um, the next part, which is um, 
you know, it, it does seem like spirituality is shrinking in 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 the West and and maybe even around the world to some extent. I, I want to get your take on spirituality and and religion. So I also want to kind of make that difference. And maybe before we jump into that question around whether, you know, mm-hmm. what is the spiritual health of the, of the world? Can you also explain what you think religion is and maybe con- compare and contrast that to spirituality? Sure. <clears throat> uh, I think originally religion they're they're kind of related. I, I think originally, maybe there was spirituality first, and then that spirituality evolved into some kind of a large scale religion. I mean, that's the way I see it. Uh, per, perhaps like based on my reading, you know, the of the our human history, that's the what I the the, the sense I I've got. So, you know, from that perspective, I would argue that religion is has been declining and is declining based on a lot of, you know, like a Pew research and other research studies. You know, some people observe that spirituality is actually thriving. Um, yeah, I, I can see some of it, but at the same time, in general, I think there's also for human race, spirituality perhaps is declining too compared with previous generations. So yeah, it's a very kind of a complex phenomenon, but you know, we can unpack some of these. So let me get back to the kind of distinction or interconnection with, uh, you know, between spirituality, uh, spirituality and the religion. To me, that religion is much more, you know, organized, r- ritualized, or institutionalized. So, in in, in other word, ways, it has a much more set of uh, formal set of uh, rules, you know, doctrines, dogmas, beliefs, values, and practices. While spirituality, I think, allows for more of uh, individualistic exploration. So it hasn't become, or maybe it's always been like that. It's more, it's less of a communal thing. It's more of an individual thing. So the it, it's always the individual who feels spiritual. A a group can't necessarily all feel that at, at once, but a group can definitely perform religious acts all at once. Yeah. But whether yeah. or not someone yeah. feels spiritual in that moment, that is an individual. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you can be religious but not being spiritual. So like in the crowd of, of uh, religious 
you know, practices, you know, you don't feel that deeper connection. Uh, but occasionally within a religion, because there are di different dominant, uh, di uh, dom uh, different, you know, sects or um, what, what do you call the, um, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, like some people like Pentecost, right? The, you know, the, the coming of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, you know, with that, that, that group of people, they all together could feel something. Yeah, that there's, it, it's not uh, an either or, but there's, there's definitely, um, some differences that are important to, to make when we're talking about spirituality versus religion. Now, because this is a Taoist podcast, can, mm -hmm. can you talk about those two specifically in Taoist terms? You know, maybe what's, what's Taoist spirituality, what's Taoist religion, your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Well, historically, Taoism uh, has evolved into religion, meaning it has its own, you know, community of, you know, Taoists who practice certain uh, uh, alchemy, you know, like wellness practices, meditation, they sometimes even come up with their own god, which is called like Jade Emperor, but there are so many different kinds. So it's it's really like, uh, you know, you see all these Taoist monasteries uh, in the Mount, remote part of Mount China. So it, it, it has um, evolved into some kind of a, a scale. Okay, so that's, so when we talked about Taoism, you know, certain people think about Taoism as a religion, but also there is a part which is like more like a Taoist as a philosophy. You know, people can just like other like, you know, other philosophical ideas. People can study the ancient texts, you know, contemplate and etc. I think in between the two, you know, the the, the two ends I just mentioned, like Taoist. Taoism as a philosophy and Taoist as a religion, there might be like Taoist spirituality, meaning, you know, it could be, it's not like totally like a more engagement of our, you know, heads, right? I mean, by its own nature, Taoist, compared with a lot of the Western philosophies, you know, it's not like, you know, the human mind. Yeah, it's not purely intellectual. Yeah, intellectual. So from that perspective, I think it's different. It's, it, it, you know, we can in, engage with Taoism uh, in a more, less of a philosophical or intellectual way. But then the other part is, you know, we are not, you know, we're not just renouncing the world now and we're living in the remote mountain and as a hermit but we can cultivate that kind of space even though you know we're living in the midst of everything so that's how i see it the spirit you know Taoist as spirituality Taoist as philosophy Taoism as 
uh, as religion. And how about for you? In those three areas, what do you tend to focus more on when it comes to, to Taoism? I think somewhere in the middle. You know, I don't intend to be a scholar, just purely like intellectualize, you know, Taoist ideas, because I feel, you know, you know, maybe there are certain people who are devoted to it, which is great because, you know, a lot of Taoist texts, you know, it's very hard to understand. I think it's great. It's applaudable that people really, you know, help uncover that, right? But I'm not the kind. I think it's more meaningful to me if I, it's more important if I walk the timeless way in my daily life and I can feel and sense the real impact of the Taoist understanding in my life, which is only one life <laughs> of this lifetime. So it's kind of a, a, right? a mix of all three. Some some religious aspects, some spiritual aspects, some philosophical aspects, and kind of combining them all together to try to enact it in your life. Yeah, yeah. I think the religious aspect is to the extent that I do think that uh, there's something beyond the understanding, beyond the words, right? So you have to, you know, even though I cannot be as maybe organize as more deliberate than some of the, you know, Taoists, um, uh, you know, Dao Shi, they call Dao Shi, which are the practitioners of Taoism. Yeah, that we're, we still live, we're not living in a monastery, we're, we're trying to live normal lives, whatever that means, while studying this particular um, whatever you want to call it, religion, philosophy, you know, way of looking at the world. And so, you know, from our particular standpoint, having some sort of religion, you know, technical religious practice or technical scholarly unraveling is less practical. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and I know I'm certainly um, someone who, I mean, the I know there's sort of this history of, of Taoist alchemy and um, different mm -hmm. practices and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, those are part of the history, but nothing that I find particularly valuable in my own application of Lao Tzu's words or Zhuang Tzu's words or um, some of the um, ways of being in, in the world. Right, right. It's kind of interesting. I mean, sir, I see certain people, uh, including Carl Jung, kind of dip into it and find some inspiration from it. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, my version of walking the timeless way involves, you know, enough of understanding of the idea itself and then put those ideas sincerely into you know practice on my daily basis mm -hmm. yeah the, the, yeah the there's a modern world that we live in and if we want to get 
value out of this ancient wisdom, we still have to walk the timeless way today, which means we have to find a way to incorporate it into modern culture, modern demands, while not twisting it into something where it's no longer even true to Lao Tzu's words or, or intent. For example, I know um, when we were talking about some of the, the preparation for this, we talked about how new age spirituality, some of the downsides of it is that it, it can water things down in, in pursuit of commercializing it so that you can, you know, sell spirituality to people in, in an accessible way. And that that's sort of not what we're interested in or, or seeking. So, you know, could, can you talk about what elements of Taoism you think are most accessible to modern society that can still retain, I think the word that you, you used, a, you know, a, a sincere connection, a sincere practice that it still keeps true the, the ancient wisdom. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very good question. I've been always thinking about it because I think that this question is at the core of really how to walk the timeless way now and here and now. Uh, I would like to think about it from the perspective of the 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 excess the the let's say the ills, all the challenges, or the pain points our, of our current society. And then from there, maybe we can reverse engineer and trace back. Maybe there's some nutrients we don't have in our modern diets, which existed in the Taoist wisdom. Yeah. So, the kind of the society we're living in, I mean, the probably the first word that came to mind is just at the beginning of our podcast, you know, it's a chaotic world. There's a lot to it, right? Why is chaotic? What kind of chaotic? I would say the first thing is, you know, we probably, you know, the external chaotic, but I would say the internal chaotic. Those two things, the inner and outer, are kind of interacting with each other. So the more the chaotic the outer, the more the inner, the more the inner, the more the outer. So we're kind of in this kind of a conundrum. Um, so in order to, you know, of course, it's hard to, you know, we do not have the control over the the overall dynamics. So we are living in a in a in a in a system, in other words. Right? So we need to discern, you know, what's more within our control. Even I would argue sometimes, you know, what's within is not, you know, up to us to control it because there are genetics and you know all these early shape uh, conditioning our mind. 
but still, I think it's a good place to focus uh, because that's where, where the locus of control is. It's the only option that we have, even if it's not, even if it's still limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot there. You know, we can explore. Not only we explore, we can practice and experiment. And, um, you know, we'll see in that process some of the fruit. For example, detachment. I mean, when we think about there's so much of a mental disorder, mental health is a crisis here. I mean, there are scholars and therapists um, who provide all different kinds of explanations why that happens. You know, there's different labels and terms and diagnostics. Maybe, I mean, my simple way of looking at it is maybe, you know, we're too detached to this world and we're too detached to even to ourselves, you know, to our own ego. So all these complexities start to emerge. So practicing, you know, detachment and non-attachment, which is, I mean, it was deeply rooted in, I would say both Taoism and maybe, uh, and Buddhism, you know, I think Buddhism has been known for that kind of thing because Buddhism is much more known in the West, I would say relatively than the Taoism. Right, but actually, you know, those uh, detachment ideas, if you trace the ancient text, it's about the same time. It's the, the, the what, you know, historian call the Asio ages during the time, the 16th, 16th, century BC, you know, so, you know, who, who knows, maybe these people talk to each other, maybe not, but, you know, that kind of the human sense where awareness or consciousness of that importance of detachment as a maybe adaptive, like evolutionary technique emerge in different pockets of the human civilization in maybe in India and in China. So I think that kind of an attachment, uh, uh, attachment, or I would say detachment or non-attachment, I, I would say is the first thing I would suggest, which is very relevant to this world. And so, in our modern society, what are we too attached to? And um, maybe just start with that. What are we too attached to? Ah, yeah, that's a great question. Wow. <laughs> everything. I would say everything. You know, goods, money, status, power, wealth. Yeah, the relationships i mean interconnectivity is different from relation i mean attached relationships right there are a lot of dysfunctional relationships which has nothing to do with interconnectivity right it looks like attached but we are attached yeah. to the relationship that is no longer working yes we're 
attached so, to some need or demand that we want the relationship to satisfy, not an actual real relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything, I think anything physical, I think that, you know, it, it broadly speaking, I would, I would say physical attachment to a lot of things, you know, consumerism, and then psychological attachment, both. And so we're too attached to these things. And, and from a psychological perspective, we know then that can breed anxiety, depression, that there's just those are the consequences of when you're when you're attached to things that by definition are impermanent, you're you're going to be psychologically wounded over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I think by definition some kind of uh, level, I think attachment is habitual too, right? So it, 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 sometimes you feel it becomes so part of you, you, you feel almost like powerless. You know, you, you, you feel like you have no control over that, that habits. It's become, it can become addiction. You know, you feel like, you know, I can't do anything. That's how the, the way I think or I live. That's so it's almost like you're boxing in that kind of a system or that kind of culture. Yeah, you uh, people don't see any other option. They they feel like, well, that's that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a a place to start to detach. Um, of course, you know, like detaching from anything we're so wedded to or addicted to. There's a period of you know, be feeling uncomfortable, even pains. So we have to find the little rituals and techniques to deal with that. And it sounds like going back to the beginning of what we talked about, that being in stillness, being in quiet, being in just being with ourselves, is, is that part of the practice yeah 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 and also we cannot make it a, a battle we need to have some other healthier or positive things as a substitute because if we're purely because having desire, I think, to some extent is, for whatever reason, is just part of who we are. Yeah, Taoism right? doesn't cannot... say don't have desire. It's, it doesn't yeah. go to the extreme of Buddhism of saying, you know, uh, life is suffering, and so you yeah. should try to detach from all of your desires and actions and so forth. Taoism talks about moderation, which says, like, yes, you're going to have desires and experiences are okay, but it's about moderation, not going too far with things. Yeah, yeah. I think the moderation has a lot to do with 
a certain kind of practice discernment. So in other words, you through, again, it's not an intellectual exercise, through experience, through practical, through practical experience, you kind of develop some sort of what Aristotle called practical wisdom. In other words, you know when something starts, you, you start to feel like something is going overboard. Then you pull at the expense of your, yourself and other people, right? The harm starts to build up. You more intentionally pull back from that trajectory, right? And sometimes, well, you can overdo it, do the pulling back also. You underdo something, then you need to, you know, ratch up a little bit. So that's what I see um, what moderation is. It's very dynamic. It's not like, okay, you know, I will seek a more static balance. You know, I will make sure that, you know, if I, I, I you know, I feel family is important, uh, that means, you know, I will have reduced my workload and, you know, all that kind of thing. Or if I think my career is, you know, very important, you know, then, you know, I, I can ignore a lot of the interconnectivity with my loved ones. So that is what I see as a very dynamic, you know, balancing act on a daily and, 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 uh, even from moment to moment. You know, some people say, oh, would that be so tiring? I have to think about it. Well, maybe at first we, we are conscious about it, but eventually it becomes more intuitive and more uh, instinctive, I would say. Yeah, for sure. It, uh, um, just someone who practices Tai Chi, that it's a Taoist martial art, and it's it's no wonder that it focuses so much on balance because obviously that's central to Taoism. I mean, moderation is all about balance, and and so when you're practicing Taiji, that people see people practicing it slow, and they think, oh well, you know, it's because it's for old people or whatever, and it's like. Well, yes, it can be helpful for elderly people because when you fall, when you're older, that mm -hmm. that's one of the the you know one of the biggest concerns because if you fall and break a hip, that's you know really bad when you're older. But the point is, is that you you practice Tai Chi when at any age slowly because that's how you become very sensitive to when. The balance is not there because you have to be able to feel it subtly in your body. And that is why it's practiced slowly so that you can internalize what it feels like to be balanced and be very sensitive to when you're out of balance. And so I agree with what you're saying that as you practice that and focus on that being important in life, it does become more intuitive, you know, oh, I've been, you know, e eating too many rich foods and I can tell because of the way my stomach feels or mm. I've been too busy because I can feel kind of like 
um, thin and, and maybe starting to, to wear out or, I, or I'm irritable because I can tell my resources are low. You just start noticing when things are getting out of balance instinctually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you reach that state, everything feels like more natural. At first, when you get when you first start, you don't feel natural. I mean, it's no different from driving a car or play sports. Uh, that kind of finesse, right? You have uh, that kind of instinctive reading of like this, either the traffic situation or how other players play in you know in the let's say in the basket court. Uh, you know, you don't you don't master it. You know, on the on the, on the first day. To use the Ted Lasso analogy, I don't know if you watch that show, but it's very popular these days. But they are talking about football strategy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. world soccer, and the type of football is called total football, and it's basically when the teams are so in tune with each other that you don't have fixed positions anymore. It's just a flow that's organic. And because people have practiced it enough, you just sense when things are shifting and and you automatically adapt to that. And the word that that was given was total football, but it's, it's, it's definitely this Taoist way of intuitively adjusting to maintain balance to make, you have to be very sensitive to your environment. That discernment has to be there. I mean, this way of showing up isn't exclusive just to Taoism. There's, it shows up in lots of places and, and it should, because again, Taoism isn't about dogma or a prescription. It's about finding something that exists everywhere in the world all the time and getting in tune with it and living in tune with it. Exactly, exactly. While you're describing this, this, uh, you know, total football, uh, a word that uh, came to my mind just now, uh, the word, I think it's used by Carl Jung, it's called uh, uh, synchronicity. You know, I, I think in nature, if you watch like the birds, let's say, you know, during the, um, you know, autumn, late autumn, winter time when they flying, you know, toward the south, I mean, you see those flock of birds, how synchronized they are in terms of, you know, that kind of fr- majestic formation. I think it's a perfect example of that natural order without anyone imposing it. Nowadays, you know, we talked about the different kinds of government, what, you know, either people people see that have that binary view of, okay, autocracy versus democracy. Then you end up with democracy totally in chaos and autocracy, everybody is silent under a, you know, under a leader or a ruler. But I think deep inside us, what we humans are really looking for is that kind of a spontaneity, but within some kind of a natural order. We haven't found it in our political you know, system yet, either in the West or in the East. I think that's brilliantly put. And 
you know, just really reflecting upon the ability for animals to perform these very sophisticated, coordinated actions without their, you know, being a vote or uh, um, <laughs> vote or or, or through the barrel of guns, right? right. right? <laughs> Use guns as a t intimidation or you know imprisonment. Yeah, that they're、mm. and 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 supposedly we're the sophisticated animal, and obviously our intellectual sophistication. We've paid a price for that. That we've lost this. It, 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 I would argue it makes things even worse. We, we, we have lost. Yes, it's made that sort of thing impossible. We can't even agree on basic things anymore. Like, and and how can you coordinate when all of that gets broken down and essentially replaced with ideology? I mean, that's what's happened. We've lost our ability to have these synchronicities across individual organisms to live in connection with the environment, and that has really removed spirituality. And instead, it's it's interjected ideology. And I would say ideology is at the opposite end of the spectrum of spirituality, where spirituality. Doesn't require words. It doesn't require education. It doesn't require any of that. It just requires this connection with everything, not just you know your favorite propaganda machine,、um, but with the environment, with the other people around you, regardless of that, and. Um, ideology is is what is replacing that, which basically just turns people into robots that lack spirituality. I can't agree with you more. As you are talking about this, you know, I found a new definition of you know spirit, spirit or spirituality. Because I use I hate I hate to use the word even spiritual spirituality because with that ality, you know, I'm afraid we can kind of put a Put a label around it. Let's say get getting back to the very beginning. I you know the Latin word root for spirit is spiritus. It's basically is that breathing or breath. Yeah, it, it reminds me of Chinese qi, right? The qi, the the thing. I think there's something out there through humans, maybe all living things. There. There's this kind of、uh, animating, dynamic, and organizing force that drew us together. I think that in itself is sufficient enough to sustain the working and the evolution of the universe. We, for whatever reason, we lose touch with it. You know, we we it it just it's there, but we 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 turn a blind eye to these things, and we thought we are smart, so we're creating all these ideologies, ideas, and knowledge, and systems. And here's where we are now, you know, in a chaotic situation. And to take it to the final extreme would be 
you know, what people are calling artificial in, intelligence, which is essentially creating something that is so absent of any spirituality at all that it becomes just this powerful um, thing but doesn't have spirituality and the fears that people have that that is what is going to enslave and destroy humanity but it's rooted in this movement away from spirituality which doesn't require software and systems that it's about this organic animating force it's what helps the birds to migrate it's it's what um solar systems organize i mean all all of the just mm -hmm. the fundamental organizing animating energy of the the universe our spirituality is a connection with that and ai sort of being the extreme opposite end of spirituality i agree i think it's kind of ironic too that when you think about it now the system we build it's very costly to maintain and evolve it's just like the it yeah. system oh, yeah. right every company spends all the money yeah. you know to uh make sure to upgrade it and to uh scale and everything while the natural that original one is the most efficient is the simplest and the most efficient and effective now we created all that stuff and it's just going to be more and more expensive and it just drains the original human because when something is so expensive uh you know of course it consumes resources right you, but the resources are only symbol uh, but uh, but i think ultimately i can see that uh it's draining and expensive it's costly in the at the expense of the human energy in other words, this expensive, costly, humongous system is sucking the whatever energy is left of all of us. So that's the irony part of it. Instead, we are moving away from it, and then we build up this, you know, uh, babble tower and th thinking that we're powerful, but we are also inside us, we feel the most you know, exhausted and tired and the weakest, yeah. actually, and most vulnerable. And it's no wonder when we feel the most powerful. And it's no wonder then that so many people are then wanting this system to provide them with everything, feeling owed. And, you know, I want this system to give me the things that I feel I deserve and I'm owed because they have become uh -huh. spiritually weak. They have become kind of hollowed out by that system and so they want the system to fill them up feedback yeah. right to to to, to give them yeah. back yeah if they are not getting back then they get very angry but that system is never going to give them what they've lost yeah and so they some people know it intuitively that's why some people even i would say secretly wish the system collapsed you, you see what i mean that's a very very delicate situation Part of that people nowadays feel like the system, you know, in, in, in the name of rights, right, entitlement, I need to get back. 
And they, in reality, they know they are not getting back. So they also wish the system to, to just to collapse. And then maybe, you know, there's the restoration of some kind of a natural uh, energy. So I, I don't know. We're, we're just maybe speculating, but I don't believe that we're speculating out of nowhere. No, there's like, something to it. Yeah. Well, I think that that's uh, a bigger topic than what we have set out for to today. And and I do think that we we've covered at least, um, you know, the broad topic of spirituality and, and Taoist spirituality. So I do appreciate you sharing your thoughts on those topics, David. Yep, I enjoyed the conversation with you today. And I hope that our listeners uh, also get a little bit of something helpful to them. And if you want to reach out to us, you can always find us on the web at walkingthetimelessway.com. If you did find anything of value in today's podcast, we also have a link at the top to support the podcast. Even a small donation of $5 helps us to cover the costs of producing the podcast. So um, appreciate any gener generosity that you have there. Until next time, take care.